This episode of the Policing Matters podcast is sponsored by LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Learn more about how the accurate virtual crime center can help you solve more crime and find non-obvious connections at risk.lexisnexis.com backslash A-V-C-C. Hello and welcome back and thank you for tuning in to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, today I'm speaking with Patrick Fitzgibbons, veteran of policing, criminal justice subject matter expert and podcaster of the very excellent CJ Evolution podcast. I had a chance to speak with Patrick recently and I invited him to the recap of the year that was in 2020. And I'll pause while you sigh. So welcome, Patrick Fitzgibbons. Jim, thank you so much, my friend. It's an honor to be on your show. Well, it's great to have you. And you've always got good things to say. And um, you've got some really good podcasts up with some great guests. Um, So I'm excited to to talk with you uh, about um, the recap. So tell us a little bit about your background, your experience, (laughs) and what you're up to these days. Well, again, thank you so much uh, for having me on the show, Jim. Big fan. I've been listening to your show for a long time. But uh, I uh, retired law enforcement after uh, almost 23 years. Uh, Did all my career uh, in Colorado, great state of Colorado. And uh, military veteran, big shout out to all the veterans out there. I always support uh, our brave men and women uh, in the military. Thank you for what you do, as well as obviously our first responder community and uh, criminal justice professionals. But, you know, I retired in uh, 2019. Uh, had a great career, ups and downs, as you know, Jim, but uh, had a great career in law enforcement. Uh, about four and a half years ago, I started uh, my show, Criminal Justice Evolution or CJ Evolution, and just having a great time with it. And yeah, just uh, I want to keep giving back to uh, the great profession that was good to me for many years. And that's the premise behind the show. Well, that's great for you. Thanks for your service as a veteran and and clearly as a law enforcement professional and, and keeping up with, um, you know, the advocacy and pushing out really yeah. good topics and, and, and subject matter for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So I've asked you to come up with your top six issues um, for what's been the most impactful for the year. I've come up with my own six. So um, as, as long as we have time, I'd love to alternate uh, with your views on what was the biggest and maybe maybe a little bit of insight into the future. Um, but let's jump right off um, your number one topic. You know, I think it's going to be recruitment and retention and all the ones that I've had, you know, on here, Jim, are all important. But the one that really sticks in my mind, we hear about it a lot uh, in law enforcement circles. You hear it. I do. And many others. Uh, it's, you know, the recruitment and retention, um, you know, issues that we're having in law enforcement. Uh, no, no surprise that we're, we're living in some pretty unprecedented times. We all see the news. We all see uh, what's happening you know, the, the war, in my opinion, that's raging against law enforcement, not by everybody, by no means, but you, it seems like law enforcement is literally under attack every day. So uh, obviously that's going to cause uh, some issues with recruitment and retention. I know my old agency, uh, when I retired from, is having a lot of problems, you know, with recruitment and, you know, not only recruitment, but retaining 
um, you know, the talent they need to be successful. I'm not saying the talent that they have is not, you know, they're not successful. I'm just saying there's, there's a lot of people with a lot of experience that are getting off, uh, you know, getting out of law enforcement and, uh, yeah, it's problematic. So we, we got some, we got some hard work ahead of us. Yeah. And before COVID, we already had difficulty yeah. in recruiting, and um, maybe that was attributable to the great employment rate that we had. Yeah. But since uh, George Floyd, um, coupled with COVID, most departments have had a real difficult time, just as you've said. And so we've got to think of some innovative approaches to recruiting. I'm I'm under the impression that because of the really poor economy that we're experiencing, that, that we've got to see more people interested in joining the ranks of law enforcement. Don't you see that happening? I hope so. And you hit it right on the head, Jim. You know, you know, and I know that uh, usually in, in good economic times, which we've had good economic times mm -hmm. up until COVID, you know, you, you don't see people going into law enforcement in the numbers we usually do in a, in a you know, in a different economy or, or a downturn in the economy. And that's because of, you know, the stability with a government job and, and in law enforcement. And that's been, uh, you know, you know, that's been that, uh, um, it's been like that for at least since I was in, I, I think though, and I, I hope you're right. I hope, you know, we're going to see, we're going to start seeing numbers, you know, increase as far as people want to get into it. But I, I still think, you know, with the media and, and other people, now we got politicians openly attacking mm. uh, law enforcement officers, which is interesting. I think you and I talked about this before. I mean, you know, politicians, you know, used to be kind of off limits that you would, you know, by, by, either political party to, to kind of uh, criticize and, uh, you know, law enforcement. Now it's fair game. So I think, I hope you're right. I, I, I'll have to keep a better track of it. And I talk to a lot of officers from around the country as you do. So I hope and pray that those numbers start increasing because we need good men and women now more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope it's more than economic driven. I, I think, yeah. you know, I think people really got a slap in the face of the yeah. reality of this sort of um, gig economy where they're doing, you know, parcel jobs, but at the end of the road, there's no, um, there's no uh, retirement, there's no uh, compensation, maybe mm -hmm. social security may be around. So yeah. I think the allure of uh, uh, law enforcement jobs with great pensions and, and other health benefits that, you know, that they're, they're more interested beyond the money. And, you know, and I tell, that's a great point. And I tell people I talk to students, uh, you and I both teach uh, on the college level. And I, and I tell students, I said, look, the, the average police officer, you know, the vast majority of officers are not going to get involved uh, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, uh, you know, a deadly force situation in their careers. Um, you know, they, they just won't. But I think, you know, what, what the media and, and, you know, some members of the media and what some people suggest is cops are out there every day getting into these deadly force situations. That's simply not the case. The numbers don't reflect that in the statistics, but I think that plays into a lot of people's fears with maybe getting into the profession. And I, the profession is a wonderful profession. I know you had a great career. I did. And I would recommend people to, you know, to go into it. I would support it. Uh, because again, we need those good people to replenish the ranks. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on. Uh, my my number one or number two in our list is, uh, I think, reorganization or the redefinition of mission creep. And I've been saying mission creep for a long time now that law enforcement's moved into social services where cops are being asked to do so much more 
than the job they originally signed up for. Uh, you know, we, you know, we're, the war on drugs has been decried as a, as a loser that, you know, there's that false impression that so many people are in our prisons and jails for drug offenses, which you and I both know is a false narrative. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people have been sold a bill of goods. Oregon uh, just voted to decriminalize uh, drugs. That'll be another one of my uh, <laughs> lists. But but I think in Mission Creep, um, maybe this is a good time for us to get back into policing and move away from homeless encampment cleanups and graffiti cleanups and, um, you know, dealing with uh, mental health issues where none of us are trained to, you know, the level uh, no. needed sometimes. So, I mean, we may see some, um, some mission creep drop off in maybe we don't have cops being paramedics or EMS and, and delivering naloxone to overdose people. What, what do you think of that? Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that is contributing to uh, officer stress, officer fatigue. They already have a stressful job as it is now. Officers are playing, you know, uh, you know, crisis counselors. And, you know, we've always been resilient. Uh, Jim, you know that, you know, whatever people throw on law enforcement, we can handle it. But I agree with you 100%. I never thought in my career I'd be, you know, uh, you know, going to so many mental health calls and, uh, you know, acting as a counselor. And again, law enforcement's there to help people. I get that. You mentioned Narcan. I mean, I never thought in a million years that we'd be administrating, Nar you know, Narcan, in, you know, to, in the nose of people who are overdosing. But I think we've allowed it to happen. Administrators and, and leaders within the law enforcement community have allowed the mental health field to push that responsibility off. Uh, on uh, the first responders. I'm not saying the mental health field is not doing anything. I'm just, you know, we, we've just allowed it to happen. I know here in Colorado and, you know, again, in my experience, you know, we, you know, we've just allowed it. We've allowed the mental health establishment just to throw that, you know, responsibility back on law enforcement. And I agree hundred percent. We should, we should get back to policing and what we are trained to do. Uh, now you've seen it, uh, you know, Jim, all across the country, it seems like, you know, now the, the new thing is uh, law enforcement out there and, you know, enforcing social distancing and wearing masks during COVID. That's not a law enforcement function, I think, mm -hmm. is you correct me if I'm wrong. I think the Los Angeles uh, sheriff said we're not enforcing that stuff. And I agree with him. Uh, you know, law enforcement, it's like, the you know, you, you know, Jim, you, you know, government, you know, is, you know, takes an inch, they're, they're going to want a mile. And they're going to keep forcing that on law enforcement. And it's good to see with us, you know, with COVID, especially that law enforcement's pushing back and saying, that's not our role. Yeah. We need to get back to what our role is. And that's part of the problem with, with, you know, all these things, you know, officer stress. And I know we're going to talk more about this and burnout um, that, I mean, it just, they just heap it on law enforcement and we, we have, you know, we're not only do we have retention and recruitment problems now, let's just throw another responsibility on top of law enforcement. We just need to, we need to push back. And I agree with you hundred percent. Great. So what's your, your next one? You know, I kind of hit on it and uh, I think, you know, just, you know, mental health and, and wellness with law enforcement, I think that's gotta be up there. And that ties a little bit, a lot in with morale, but you know, no doubt that we, we're seeing we live in, you know, we got the lockdowns going on and the pandemic and, you know, it's always been a stressful job, as you know, um, unfortunately, high suicide rates among our first responder, a lot of mental health issues, PTSD, you name it. 
Uh, and again, that's got to be a priority going forward. I think we've come a long way, Jim. I, I, I can only speak in my experience, but uh, I'm sure you've seen it, you know, uh, in, in your career. I mean, you know, we didn't have the resources, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Now we got peer support and all these other uh, great things for our first responders, but we need to do more and we need to get rid of that stigma of mental health uh, with the culture of law enforcement and the military too, where, you know, I think it's changed. I think we got a lot wor more work to do, but we, we need to encourage our brave men and women who are suffering to come forward and ask for help until it's too late. So yeah. uh, I think mental health and, and well-being is, is very important. It's got to be up there. Yeah. No, I think, I think you hit it on the head. And, and I think, you know, it's more and more difficult for sergeants and mid-level managers to convince, you know, officers to go out and do some of these things yeah. like, you know, like the mask enforcement. And, um, you know, we've, we've had some incidents where, you know, leadership has, uh, you know, taken a hike and left officers on the front lines, whether at a demonstration yeah, or, you know, with, you know, the media du jour, um, and, and I think morale is, is going to be a tough one and it's going to be up to, I think your, your next pick is leadership. I'll leave that to you, but I think it's going to be up to leadership to really, um, change the, the way morale has been going. You talk about suicide and, and I think 2019 was our worst year yeah. ever. Yeah. And I think we're seeing a little bit of a lull and maybe it's just because, um, you know, we're, we're so hunkered down and we're, yeah, we're not as proactive, I think. So, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so uh, great topic. I'm going to talk about next, uh, my, my next topic would be uh, the wide release of prisoners. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it, it started out in, you know, these sort of pockets of liberal uh, states and areas of, of the country, California, of course, uh, New York. But now it, it seems to be getting more widespread attention now with a political movement. Um, calling for prisoners to be released, whether for COVID or whether for, uh, you know, justice. Um, I think the back end is going to fall back onto policing. And if you say, hey, you know, not my elephant, not my circus or whatever adage you use, I think it's going to fall back onto law enforcement to deal with chronic serial serious offenders that are being released for reasons that don't justify their release. And it's going to be on the laps of law enforcement. Absolutely. I mean, look at New York city, getting rid of bail and all these other things. Somebody commits a crime. They're out in a couple minutes or an hour. Uh, yeah, of course it's going to fall back on law enforcement. I understand the rationale behind it. I, you know, I think we all agree that there's, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, overcrowding in jails and in prisons. I get that. Uh, and I, and I do think some people in prison or incarcerated, all right, you know, depending on their crime, okay, they're going to get released. Most people are, you know, you know, people who are incarcerated, most of them are going to get out at some point, but to your point, I mean, we're letting everybody and everybody, you know, get out of prison and in jails. And I guess my question to the politicians is how do you not think this is going to fall on law enforcement? And how do you not think that there's going to be an uptick in crime? I mean, it just baffles me. I don't understand the rationale. Uh, of course, it's political in nature, but it, it, it just baffles me. And, you know, poor law enforcement, again, it's going to be another pressure on law enforcement. We already go to many calls involving frequent flyers and the same people. 
I mean, now you're just going to heap that on the law enforcement. It's going to add to the problems, the stress, everything else. I, I just don't understand the rationale. Well, I do. It's political. I get that. But it's I think it's going to backfire on the politicians that want that to happen. You saw this in Minneapolis, uh, Jim, and I know a lot of the viewers did or listeners, you know, the where George Floyd happened. They, they voted to get rid of police, defund, abolish. And now the same politicians are crying that crime is out of control and they want the police back. So, I mean, it just it baffles me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everything's a social experiment. These yeah. Days. So, yeah. So what your next one, I know you, you talked, we, we both touched a little bit about leadership, but I think that's your next point, right? Yeah, I think leadership, you know, the, the interesting thing about leadership is when I talk about leadership on my show and right now, I'm talking about leadership at all levels. Look, I'm the first person that says you don't need uh, stripes, a bar or a star uh, to be a leader. Some of the best leaders I've ever worked with were, were people within the organization that had no formal rank. So leadership has to come, obviously it has to come from the chief and the deputy chief and sheriff and undersheriff and everybody, you know, in those management, you know, key roles, but leadership also has to come from the, our, our, you know, patrol officers or deputies out there. You know, you don't have to wait, you know, you know, for, for somebody to make a change, be that change agent. So when I talk about leadership, that really means at all levels, you know, that's not just the formal leadership, because again, some of the best ideas, some of the best solutions to problems I've seen in my career have come from just line officers, you know, and, and just, you know, just deputies, road deputies who've come up with some really great, you know, uh, you know, ideas and solutions to, to crime. And, you know, we talk, you could talk about hotspot policing and all this other stuff. That's some of those ideas, you know, in my areas where I worked have come from patrol officers, not all of them, but that's, that's true leadership, you know, you know, coming, not only being able to lead people and inspire and motivate people, but coming up with some solutions to some pretty pressing problems. So I think leadership, now the flip side of that is what we were talking about before. I think we're, we're, there's a leadership problem at some of the top echelons of law enforcement agencies. I know because, you know, I talked to a lot of people like you do and a lot of the rank and file and those people that are out there, uh, you know, doing the work on, on patrol don't feel, I'm not, not in every organization, but a lot of people I talk to, you know, they have some serious reservations that if they get into some, uh, you know, if they get into a critical incident or something, that leadership's not going to have their back. And that is, you know, you know what they say about perception. You know, reality, it, yeah. It's reality. And that's a problem within some organizations. Yeah. No, and and what you just mentioned is in alignment with everything's a domino effect, right? Yeah. So leadership affects morale, affects productivity, affects, you know, officers' well-being, mental health, all of it. And uh, my next uh, topic that we've seen in, in 2020, and I think we're going to see more, you know, the ill effects or the unintentional consequences are in the drug decriminalization movement. Oh. And again, we've seen it in pockets. Uh, Oregon proclaimed in November that they were the first state to decriminalize uh, drugs, personal possession of drugs uh, across the board, heroin, crack, Rohypnol, the date rape drug, you name it, right? But that's not true. Of course, California, the leader in liberal policies, uh, we had Prop 47, Proposition 47, that decriminalized, not to the extent of Oregon, maybe, but to the extent of uh, personal possession of uh, drugs of any kind would be uh, reduced to a misdemeanor. 
and um, you know, wouldn't be a priority of policing. And you know, as well as I, that the unintended consequences and the trickle down effect of essentially legalizing drugs has such ill effects. And, and we could talk about the black market. And it's funny mm -hmm. when, when marijuana was decriminalized, they asked me at, at my uh, San Francisco state uh, as a criminal justice uh, subject matter expert, what about the black market? And first, uh, we talked to an economist at your school who said the black market would disappear the minute marijuana was legalized. Well, we know that never happened. Nope. <laughs> the black market is in full strength, and you have the, the associated uh, gang problem, the gang issues, the robberies, the you know, break-ins, uh, the grow houses. You know, if somebody sees that the, there's an operation, they know there's money or product. So... There's that aspect of it, um, the gang rivalries, you know, not since the days of them dealing on the street corners have we seen, you know, these rival gangs feuding and, and often resorting to violence and, and murder over, uh, over drug territory. Um, robbery, property crime in California, uh, you know, they can dispute it, but, but there, there's a problem with uh, the reporting. And if you looked at FBI uniform crime reports mm -hmm. from 2010 till now, somewhere in the middle in California, the felony arrests dropped tremendously. And you can look to some of these um, legislative efforts to reduce, to take felonies off the books, to reduce mm -hmm. felony possession of drugs to misdemeanors. So, of course, you're going to see the dip in, in the number of arrests. Sure. Plus, cops, as you know, cops will follow the path of least resistance. And so why, why put yourself, why jump through hoops to make a misdemeanor arrest that a liberal DA or any DA may say, you know, it's a misdemeanor. Are, are we going to spend the time and effort to prosecute a misdemeanor? Yeah, it's just, again, another decision to decriminalize drugs. I mean, Colorado, as you probably know, was the first state to, to uh, you know, decriminalize marijuana. Now, there is some, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, there's it's just like a free-for-all in Colorado. Well, that's not necessarily true. You can't have, I mean, it's all regulated now, like in most states. You can't just, you know, it's not a free-for-all. Uh, but, you know, I saw this um, writing on the wall. I mean, okay, you do one drug. You, you, now I hear they're trying to, you know, decriminalize it on the federal level, uh, marijuana. Yeah. I think there was a bill uh, that's being pushed right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, again, I don't understand not only law enforcement consequences of we were mentioning, you know, Narcan, you know, and do, I mean, that's going to go up probably with decriminalizations of drugs, but there's also societal implications to, to all this, not just on the mm -hmm. law enforcement yeah. Avenue. But I, again, I, I just don't understand it. I, I You mentioned a social experiment. I think we should be very careful with you know social experiments and what we want to you know do. And it just it just amazes me that uh, we're at this point now in, in our in our country and in this moment in time where I mean, geez, you know, imagine, you know, you know, young children, imagine parents now that not only do they have to you know, deal with so many issues that face the, the our youth today. But now, yeah, you know, drugs are legal now. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just I, I just don't get it, Jim. And yeah, 
Again, I, I agree. I mean, you know, decriminalization of, of drugs, you know, it's, it's being pushed by, uh, you know, liberal policies and I just don't get it. And usually the people, you know, again, people who are pushing this are people who don't have to deal with it. You know, yeah. it, they're not going to deal with the problems. It's, you know, it's just like, you know, the, the people who, you know, want to get rid of guns. Well, they're surrounded by, you know, people, details that have guns. So <laughs> again, it's just, you know, I don't understand the, you know, um, you know, where we're at in society with some of this stuff. It just defies all logic, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and there will be consequences. You know, there's, it's like throwing a, uh, you know, a stone into a, a pond. There's going to be ripple effects that, sure. you know, people, oh, it's great, you know, and, and, you know, well, you know, let's, let's wait and see what, uh, the, you know, those unintended consequences are going to be. And I'm willing to bet that there will be a lot of them. For sure. And, you know, my students will always ask, well, why don't you think it's a good idea? And I always say, are we going to give the drugs away free? And if not, yeah. If you've got a, a, an addiction and you want the, the drug, how are you going to get the money to get it? Well, you know, is it any, uh, anybody surprised that in a city of 900,000 in San Francisco, we had 41,000 auto break-ins one year? Of course. Uh, and they're, they're not gonna, being prosecuted. Yeah, they're going to, people are going to get their drugs. They're going to, you know, do, do burglaries, robberies, breaking into cars. I mean, that's, that's the, the consequences, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. Can be expected. All right. What's next on your list? You know, um, I, I have, uh, well, I think we, we talked a, a little bit about morale, but, you know, that goes into uh, mental health and wellness. If you ask me, uh, you know, we need to do a better job with, uh, you know, motivating the troops and, and keeping their morale high. I think part of that, a big part of that is this goes to the supervisors out there who are listening. It is your job and responsibility to make sure that you're checking in I would say every day with the troops under your command, under your shift or whatever, and, and really asking them, you know, digging deep, uh, you know, you know, you know, getting into, you know, getting to know them better with their, you know, family. And I mean, not everything about their lives, but getting to know them well enough where you can spot if something's wrong. And um, I was like that with my troops when I went, when I was in, and that only goes with officer wellness uh, and mental health, but it, that's a big morale thing. You know, it seems, as you know, Jim, uh, you know, it seems that when supervisors only, you want to talk to the troops, it's usually when something's wrong, but we need to get into the habit of, you know, going to our troops and, uh, you know, just, Hey man, how's, how's your day going? You know, you, yeah. uh, do you need anything from me? And not only is that good on a mental health, you know, perspective, but it really is good for morale. Yeah, you know, with, with with officers, they're already in, under tremendous stress. They always have been, but now more than ever, it's a big morale booster to, you know, you know, really meet with people as supervisors routinely, uh, talk with them, you know, give them praise, you know, uh, a lot more than than we're, you know, in my experience that we did. Uh, but I, I would say, you know, another thing is rebuilding trust and legitimacy in in some of the communities. Um, you know, out there, I think it's got to be a priority. I've always tell my students when they're asking me questions about, okay, how, how do you rebuild trust uh, and legitimacy in, in some of the communities? Well, first of all, it's a two-way street. Law enforcement can't do it alone. We need, you know, the communities to be at that table and other stakeholders to, to rebuild that trust, uh, help rebuild that trust that has been eroded in some communities. You take Minneapolis. I mean, I'm sure people, you know, don't trust the cops. You mentioned Ferguson before. Yeah. It's, it's, but there, there has to be everybody at that table. Uh, too many times 
I've seen where, you know, they just throw it back on law enforcement. Well, we need more training. Well, you know, law enforcement is trained. You know, we were constantly training. So I, I love the people that say, well, you guys aren't trained enough. Well, from my perspective, we get a lot of training post yeah. post requirement, you know, here in Colorado, I'm sure California does the same thing, but um, yeah. And, and, you know, the trust and legitimacy in the communities is, is my opinion, very important, but it's going to take a long time to help build the trust back in these communities. But there has to be everybody at that table. All the stakeholders have to be there. It's just, it's just not on law enforcement's shoulders. Uh, you know, you know, their sole responsibility, everybody has to be involved. Yeah. Well, you snuck two in on me there. You got, <laughs> you got in officer wealth and health and wellness and rebuilding trust and legitimacy. Yeah, yeah. With a little sprinkle of morale. With a little sprinkle of morale. Those are all great. Hey, I'd like to take a, a second to uh, acknowledge our sponsor and we'll be right back. Accurate Virtual Crime Center helps accelerate your investigations by finding connections between public records and nationwide law enforcement data with just one search. With cutting edge analytics and data linking, law enforcement personnel can get a comprehensive view of people's identities. Evidence-based policing allows them to better target investigations, generate leads and solve crimes. Using nationwide crime data, they can also detect patterns, predict upcoming events and deploy resources efficiently. Accurate Virtual Crime Center helps police agencies be more effective in protecting and serving their communities. To learn more about Accurate Virtual Crime Center, visit risk.lexisnexus.com backslash AVCC. And we're back and I'm speaking with uh, CJ, Criminal Justice Evolution podcaster, Patrick Fitzgibbons. We're going down our top 12 of the 2020 year and, and what's to come. And we're down to number nine, as, as I see on my list. And, and Pat, Pat, just to go back to rebuilding trust and legitimacy and uh, officer mental health and wellness, um, you know, two separate but joining uh, issues. Um, Rebuilding trust, uh, you know, again, I think it's more about transparency and, and mm -hmm. taking the time to explain to the, the communities what we do and why. And I think, you know, you and I have discussed off, off topic that, you know, sometimes the sworn, the, the chief of police, the sheriff and, and everybody from top down, you've been burned on social media for saying something. Um, Officers who speak out are some, sometimes censored. You know, there is no First Amendment um, freedom of speech when you're wearing the uniform and you're broadcasting on uh, Instagram or mm -hmm. uh, Facebook or some other social media site. So there's that hesitancy and reluctancy to speak out. And so, you know, I got to hand it to people like you who, who speak out and bring these issues forward and maybe say things that the sworn can't say. So I think that's, that's a, a good foot forward in, in building trust and, and communications with, with the communities. And then in officer wellness, you know, I always wonder, and I'm sure I'm going to get, you know, cat called for this one, but why don't we operate more like Google and Facebook and some of these other corporations, Apple, and give more to the officers that we expect so much from, right? Why yeah. don't we provide meals at the station? Why don't we provide 
sleeping rooms for officers that have been working 12 hours and have to go on an hour-long commute or or things like that. Uh, we have early intervention systems to catch cops doing bad things. Why don't we create a matrix to see when they may be getting into some emotional or psychological um, situation where they could use some help? Um, what do you think? I think it's a great, great point, Jim. You mentioned sleep centers. I know here in Colorado and, and a lot of agencies I'm familiar with, one being my old agency, uh, we have uh, created some sleep rooms for officers that uh, maybe have a quick turnaround, you know, and they have to be back at work. Maybe they have to go to court, you know, and they don't want to do the commute back home. And we also encourage officers, you know, to if they're if they're just, you know, tired, especially the people working graves, as you know, go in there, you know, we'll cover the street, you know, sleep for 20, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Now you can't go in there and sleep eight hours, but, you know, get recharged and, you know, come back to the street. I think a big part of it, Jim, is just the culture and law enforcement. Uh, we talked about that before in, in you know, another conversation a couple of weeks ago. I, I think a, a lot of it comes back to culture and, you know, people within these, you know, higher echelons that, well, it's always been that way. You know, I had to suffer and again, not everybody, but I, I do think that's, that's some of the culture of, of law enforcement. Uh, the, some of the culture is the problem. I've, I've heard that from, you know, numerous people I've worked for before. Well, it's always been like, that just you just got to suffer through it and you know and they didn't have that for me kind of mentality mm. so I, I think we need to you know change the culture and change the perception you know and the stigma behind you know mental health and that's going to come with again leadership and leadership taking responsibility because you know we're losing officers we mentioned recruitment and retention right off the bat nobody's knocking down to, to become a cop anymore at least I can see I mean thank god people are still getting onto the to, to, to the force. But if, if we have officers that feel like they're being ignored and they can't come forward with some of these problems that they're dealing with, they're going to leave this profession. And that's going to be on the hands of leadership within the organization. You know, they, you know, I mean, leaders really have to, to, to understand this. They don't fire the, the team, they fire the coach. And, you know, they're, they're, you've seen a lot of law enforcement officials, you know, especially in COVID and these difficult times where everybody's kind of on edge and stressed. You've seen a lot of senior administrators lose their job. And I'm not saying because they're not supporting the troops, but I'm saying if, if administrators aren't supporting law enforcement, the people uh, on the front line with mental health issues, they're going to leave, you know, law enforcement's going to leave and they're going to leave the profession and that's going to be on the hands of, of leadership. So we need to take it. I think we've come a long way uh, in my perspective with, with mental health and wellness, but we still have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we, we covered a couple topics there and sleep was one of mine. I think we hit that. <laughs> and uh, so what's, what's your final uh, point? You know, I, I think, you know, the training going forward, I think, uh, and we've, we've kind of talked about that a little bit. I think, you know, we're always training and we are, that's a misnomer for people out there who don't think we're getting trained. The officers are getting trained uh, all the time, but, you know, we need to probably, you know, you know, do better job at communicating, uh, probably more de-escalation training, but there is a time to escalate. We all know that. Uh, but again, you know, what kind of training we're going to get in the future? I think I know, and you probably know, Jim, I mean, you still talk to many people. I do. And that's, they're really grappling with cut, what type of training in this kind of new environment we're living in. What's that going to look like uh, in the future with law enforcement? So I think that's going to be a, a key issue going forward. I mean, the, the, the stuff that we've been trained, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, 
uh, you know, like driving and shooting and stuff like that. Uh, I don't advocate shooting in the leg or anything like that, like some people do. But uh, I think the training is going to be an issue going forward. You know? Yeah. Well, that that funnels into to one of my files. I think you you got two in, so I've got to squeeze my two <laughs> in keep... again. And I know we're running we're running short on time, but uh, one of mine was technology, and yeah. I'm going to be talking with um, uh, a captain from. Uh, Chula Vista this week about his uh, drone um, program and the use of AI in the drone program. There's a New York Times article, uh, Captain Donald Redman from Chula Vista uh, PD talks about using drones with programs that actually do some proactive policing rather than just have a pilot, you know, steer the thing around for search and rescue. It yeah. Use much more. So I think we're going to see some technology breakthroughs. We've seen a couple of things last year. We've seen more with body worn cameras and, and some other uh, innovations. I hope there's um, uh, something else um, that we could use as far as uh, use of force reduction, exactly. something in technology. Um, and in use of force, my final topic, my 12, the number 12 on our list of six and six is uh, use of force, a huge issue in 2020. 2021, I hope to come across some answers uh, rather than just restrictions or throwing, um, you know, use of force techniques out the window. We've, we've seen the loss of carotid. 2020 could be the loss of the carotid hold, which many agencies already, um, you know, ditched in the past. But now we're seeing across the board legislative moves, NYPD uh, just horrific in that They've made it a criminal offense for an officer to lay any part of their body across a uh, supine uh, subject, offender, detainee. And I had um, Henner Gracie, one of the famous jujitsu Henner brothers uh, from the Gracie University on, and he talked about jujitsu. And I, I was always hesitant. My old podcasting partner, Doug Wiley, was a huge proponent of mixed martial arts. I couldn't see cops getting into that, but I see it now. I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a believer now. Invest in our cops, give them an hour a week, give them jujitsu or some other. If you only want cops to go hands-on, then train them to do it. Don't just say, okay, go deal with it. We're not gonna give you the, the gun, the baton, the pepper spray, the taser or the carotid anymore. Just go deal with it. That, that is an unreasonable situation that you put cops in yeah and I, I, you use of force such an important topic jim and you know you've seen you know legislatures and politicians chip away a qualified immunity for our brave men and women that, that's going out the window or severely eroded you know i just think it comes down to education people a lot of people have no idea what who you know graham b connor a landmark supreme court case that dictates you know use of force and when to use of force i think any every Anytime a use of force case comes out there, a critical incident, you and I were talking a couple of them before we start. I mean, is the media or, or some of these politicians even talking about these cases that dictate when and when officers cannot use, you know, deadly force? The reality is, as you know, Jim, most cases out there are, I hate to say it, they're good shoots. Their officers are justified. Uh, there are some bad cases out there. But again, I think people just need to get educated better on, you know, the type of training officers are receiving some of the Supreme Court cases that give officers that authority to use what type of force 
they need to use and they have to be able to articulate it. You know that articulate it. But I mean, we just need to give our officers the benefit of the doubt when it comes to these uh, cases. And it really, again, uh, it's disturbing to me that it used to be when I was a young officer, the officer get into a critical incident, use of force incident, and we waited until the, op, you know, the case was, you know, put together. It was, you know, usually investigated by an independent source if, you know, I mean, other agencies would come in depending on the situation, investigate it. And we would, we wouldn't pass judgment until the DA had it, you know, and, and, you know, ruled on it or, or whatever. But now we live in a society where there's a, you know, uh, there's a video out there and everybody's quick to judge where the officer was wrong without any knowledge of, you know, again, Supreme Court cases, use of force policies, what officers, you know, you know, shouldn't and shouldn't do. It really baffles me. And I'm going to go ahead and get political here for a minute that we have, you know, a, a, a political candidate now, now the president elect, I'll say it, Biden, who, uh, you know, openly advocates shooting in the leg. Uh, which is just baffling to me. That's just, I think, ignorant. And it's just this lack of knowledge uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, law enforcement techniques and, you know, what, what they can and can't do. Can you imagine, Jim, if we get to a point where we're teaching our officers, hopefully we won't, where we're teaching our officers to go for one of the extremities, uh, which is impossible to hit most cases if, if somebody's moving. And it just, it just amazes me. Like you said, these social experiments that are going out there really is, is, is scary, you know? Yeah. And, and, um, yeah. Use yeah. of force is very important. Yeah. And I've, I've said exactly what you just said about the president elect talking about shooting the leg and the adrenaline that's flowing and they're armed and they're moving and, Everybody here listening knows it's hard to hit a target 25 yards away, 15 yards away. Now they're moving. Now they're armed. Uh, your adrenaline's pumping. It's, it's ridiculous to hear sometimes. And I'm just hoping, this is my final comment for today, uh, is that the D Department of Justice doesn't just take uh, you know, the diplomats of agencies or the diplomats uh, of IACP and PERF and others, but get down into the trenches of trainers, of range operators, uh, range masters, use of force experts uh, that are still on the ground wrestling with armed suspects. Hear from them. Exactly. Uh, rather than, you know, our quote leaders of the departments um, who speak for the rest of us, but Let's hear from, you know, the people that are really, you know, the boots on the ground people. Exactly. And in wrapping up, gosh, I can't thank you enough. Uh, Patrick Fitzgibbons, uh, podcaster for the Criminal Justice Evolution podcast, taking the time to share your thoughts and perspectives, um, keeping the important issues in the forefront uh, of the public, uh, for law enforcement officers to hear, to, to hear their their issues validated for them. And hopefully, you know, we're pushing out some information that they could use. Um, stay well. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Uh, thank you, Patrick Fitzgibbons. Thank you, Jim. It's been an honor to be on your show, brother, and I uh, hope to talk to you soon. For sure. Best of you. Stay well. Thank you, sir. And, and to our listeners, thanks again for listening. Uh, what do you think? Do any of these topics resonate with you? What do you have that we didn't touch on? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at policingmatters at police1.com. That's policingmatters at police1.com. And lastly, Patrick, how can people find you? 
Great question. Uh, they can all find all my information and my podcast. Everything is on cjevolution.com. That's cjevolution.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we'll put a link under the podcast uh, alert. And um, best to you. Stay well. Uh, best to you in 2021. Be well, stay safe. Thanks for your service. I'm Jim Dudley.